Well, today I want to talk to you about dollars and cents and spending smarter. Now, I'm not going to talk to you about couponing. Uh, there's a man in our church can help you with coupons if you're into that. I'm not going to, and I didn't know this was a verb until my wife told me it was a verb. I'm not going to talk to you about thrifting. That's where you go to uh, thrift stores and, and you shop. And I'm not going to talk to you about how to find a good sale. That's not the purpose of this message. Matter of fact, <clears throat> I had a couple of people seem to be kind of excited about that. And I said, oh, no. Number one, I'm not the shopper. You know, if you want to know about all of those things, then talk to my wife. I, you know, it's just not my forte, and it's not something I particularly enjoy doing. So what I want to talk to you about is what the Bible talks to us about, is about spending money. And I'd like to kind of just share with you um, the story of three men early in my life that had a lot of influence on me. Two of these men, I ended up not allowing them to have as much influence in my life anymore. And you'll, you'll gather why in just a moment. All three of these men were millionaires. All three of these men were very wealthy. And I wanted to learn how to manage money well. I wanted to learn how to lead well. They were good leaders. I wanted to learn and just be with them. And so today we call it shadowing. And so I would ask them to let me go with them sometime. And they took an interest in my life. As a matter of fact, one of them I actually worked for for a brief time. They took a real interest in my life and in me and, and were a blessing. One of the men was very stingy. If we went out to a restaurant, he was stingy with the waitress. He was kind of gruff. And um, when it came to his family, he was kind of gruff. As a matter of fact, uh, most of his children ended up not serving the Lord because he just was that kind of individual. They didn't see the fatherly love of God in him, and they saw a sternness and a judgmentalism in him. I ended up, you know, just kind of removing him from my life. And you can do that when you ask somebody to be a mentor in your life. If, if you're not learning what you thought you were going to learn, or if they're not teaching you what you thought you would learn, you can actually, you know, it's no harm in that. You don't have to be mean about it. You just no longer continue in that relationship. The second man was a good man, but again, he was kind of a self-serving, self-seeking man. Let me give an illustration this way. I went out with him to a restaurant, and he put a stack of money on the table. They were all dollar bills. And whenever we went into a restaurant, nobody really wanted to wait on him because he was just this kind of man. He was gruff and grumpy and he told the waitress, he says, anytime my glass gets to half full, I'm taking a dollar off the top of this stack of money. He said, if you keep my glass full, he says, you'll get all this money. And he never said thank you. He never really went out of his way. Again, his children ended up, all of his children ended up not serving the Lord. And his wife became very bitter and distraught with him. But he was successful financially, and the only reason he was successful as a leader is because he had power over people, and if you didn't like it, he just kind of got rid of you, or some people would find a better job, but they told me, I can't let him, nobody can know that I'm looking for a job because he was a vindictive man. I cut him out of my life. Now, so far, all of these men have claimed to be Christians. The third man was a passionate follower of Christ. I learned more from him. 
When he walked into a business or he walked into an organization, people instantly rushed up. And he was more of the, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Charismatic. He, he had charisma. You know, I'm an introvert. He's an extrovert. And I kind of, a lot of what I learned about how to meet people, because I was somewhat scared of people, I learned from him. But he loved people. He was constantly affirming them. He was constantly encouraging them. He was a generous man. He was generous to the people that worked for him. He was generous to his family. He was generous to those that waited on us if we were in a restaurant. Everywhere he went, people loved him. And he was such a kind man. And when he went to heaven, all of his children were there. His wife was there. They loved God. His children loved God. There was just this tremendous grief. We had lost a pillar in our community. We had lost someone that genuinely demonstrated the love of Jesus. And as you might gather, until he went to heaven, I wanted to learn from him and him to be an influence in my life. So I want to talk to you today in this series about spending smarter and some things that I learned from him and that I've learned from others over the years. And I'm going to tell you two more stories in just a little while. But I think the first thing we have to ask ourselves is this question. Is there a moral implication to how I spend my money? Is there a moral implication to the things I buy, to the things that I spend money on? Is there a moral implication to the businesses that I buy from and I do business with? Are there ethical implications of how I spend my money? For instance, there are some people in our church, they will only buy organic food because they believe that that's going to be healthier for them. Now, I grew up on organic food. We, we, everything we had was organic, and I believe it is healthier for you. But there are some people who even go a step beyond that, and, and I really applaud this, they buy from ethically sourced farmers, or they buy local from local farmers, or they buy what's called, for instance, in coffee, it's called fair trade coffee. I happen to support personally a ministry that is helping, it's called fair trade coffee. They're Christians, they're believers, and they employ other coffee workers, and they, they buy their coffee from coffee growers, and they give them what's called a fair price on the market rather than trying to depress the price because they know these folks are trying to make a living. Let me illustrate it two ways, personal experience. I got to go in 1994 to a tea plantation in, right outside of Nairobi up in the mountains of Kenya, and there, there were just miles and miles of tea plantations, and this tea was bought from Christians. It was Christians who, uh, the church sponsored the tea plantation. They were Christians that were working the fields. They had Bible study every day. They ate lunch together. And though you paid a little higher price for the tea, the tea, they always had a market for their tea back in the 90s before anybody was talking about fair trade and ethically sourced. They were trying to be sure that the local farmers who grew that were being compensated as they should. I heard stories from the people that were behind this project about how people were treated in Indonesia, in the Philippines, in Africa, and other places 
where companies and big organizations, because they wanted to please stockholders rather than bless the people who actually produced the product, they kept prices low and they kept people in almost a kind of slavery, kind of the way people used to do with the coal miner workers in West Virginia, where you heard the old song, I owe my soul to the company store, where they ended up being more in debt to the company store than they were to money that they made so they could never leave the coal mines until they died. Same thing happened at a coffee plantation I visited in, down in um, El Salvador. This again was fair trade, ethically sourced coffee and coffee farmers, beautiful coffee, delicious coffee. It's the, look at me, you will like this. It was the first coffee I ever drank that was brewed or dripped through a white sock. And by the way, the sock was clean. I made sure of that before I drank the coffee. But they used the sock. They put the coffee down in it, and they poured the hot water through it. And, and I've got pictures of that it's because it was just so funny drinking coffee from a sock. You know, it was just a, a, one of those experiences in life that I've been blessed to have. We understand this because sometimes in America, we have boycotts. And we boycott businesses because we feel like they're, they're either attacking family values or we boycott businesses because we feel like they're supporting maybe abortion or something like that. And because of that, we, we have boycotts that are called for by the church from time to time. Both Protestant churches and Catholic churches do that. So every time I make a purchase, one of the things I want to know is, who am I buying from? What am I buying? How was it marketed? And how was it produced? But it's not just you and I and the power of what we spend. Your spending, never forget this, your spending, your purchasing has power. And where you choose to spend your money and what you choose to spend your money on has power and it has influence. And you need to be aware of that because businesses and marketing and advertising, they never want you to think about the power or the influence that you have in your spending, but God does because the Bible has so much to say about this. But think about our government and how it spends the money that it collects from you and I. The influence and the power, who wins and who loses. Countries that are propped up are countries that collapse economies that are propped up. And as your pastor, someone that loves you, wants you to be successful, wants you to prosper, I would always encourage you, plan your spending. Now, I don't like to shop, but I do like to plan my spending, and I like to plan my investing. Plan your spending, listen, so that your spending honors the great commandment that Jesus gave us, to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and what's the second verse? Love your neighbor as yourself. As a matter of fact, Jesus said it's like this. He said in the second is like the first, love your neighbor as yourself. So if I love you, Devin, I will, I'm loving God. If, if I love you the way I love myself, if I want to treat you the way I want others to treat me, I'm loving God. Debbie, if I love you the way I should, I'm loving God. Yolanda, Ed, if I love you the way I should, I'm loving God. And we have to start thinking about that because the power of our spending also has a way of honoring God. 
Here at our church, we have certain values that informs everything we do. It informs our budget. It informs our spending. Number one of those is that every person deserves a presentation of the gospel at his or her level of understanding. Secondly, we have another value that says that every person needs a biblical compass to guide them and to protect them throughout their life. We have a third purpose that says every single one of us have been blessed with a gift by the Holy Spirit with which we can serve God with, and by serving God, we serve others with these ministry gifts He's given us. And then we have a fourth value that says every single one of us have a purpose in advancing the gospel of Jesus Christ by sharing our witness and sharing our faith. Those are values that we live by, but there's so many other values that as we mature and grow in Christ, and it's what Earl, the first man I was telling you about, it's what Earl practiced in his own life, and that's what made him so attractive, that's what made him so warmly welcomed by others, is because Earl was careful about how he loved people and how he spent his money and how he led people and how he ran his business And it affected his children, it affected our community, it affected the church where he worshiped at and the missions program that it had and the missions ministry it had. The book of James warns us to be careful. Now, and this is going to sound a little political, I'm not being political, but I'm just giving you what the Bible says. The book of James in chapter 5 warns us about how the government and businesses will try to exploit us by debasing our money. From the book of James, there is a warning to leaders, business owners, and governments about the silver and gold corroding. In other words, they're debasing the money. This has happened historically from time to time. We've seen it happen in our country, but it happens in a much more sophisticated way now. But for instance, a king may have raised, I'm just going to pull an arbitrary figure out of the air. A king may have raised $10,000 in silver coins, but yet he found out $10,000 wasn't enough to pay for the extra chariots he needed to protect his kingdom. It wasn't enough to pay for the, for the soldiers that he needed. Maybe it wasn't enough to build the addition on his palace that he wanted to build. And so the king would come up with an idea. He would take all the money back in. He would recall all the money. He would melt it down, and then he would add 10 to the silver. Therefore, he could make his $10,000 tax money into 15000 face value on money. It wasn't worth 15000 in pure silver, but it was worth 15000 in currency because he had debased, corroded the, the system. Let me illustrate it like this. When I was a teenager and I worked in a grocery store, a loaf of bread was 19 cents. Some of you that went grocery shopping this week, what does a, grocery, what does a loaf of bread cost now? It was over $3, somebody just said. All right? When I was a teenager, and I know I'm old, but it's not that long ago. When I was a teenager, you could buy gas for 21 cents a gallon all the time. Somebody bought gas this week. How much was gas this week? 325. Did anybody buy it cheaper or higher than that? All right, 320. And that's because we live here. If we lived in San Francisco, we'd probably be paying over $5 a gallon. Now, you go, wow, what caused that? We've debased our economy. Inflation, pumping money into the 
the government can print money, pumping money into the system without increasing the value, credit, a numbers of things that have happened. Recently, somebody said to me, says, man, that must have been so great to be able to buy gas at 21 cents a gallon. I said, yeah, it was, but I only made $1.20 an hour back then when I was a teenager as well. And so, but $1.20 wouldn't buy you a gallon of gas today, but a $1.20 would buy you five gallons of gas back then. So you get the picture of what the king was doing with the silver coins by debasing them. Your purchasing power, it's learning to think of how you spend your money. Now, for instance, don't let this panic you because the Bible tells us that in this world, Jesus taught us this, in this world, we're always going to have trouble. But God gives us a way to overcome. And Jesus said these words as well. He says, but fear not, I have overcome the world. How many of you want to live as overcomers and learn to spend smarter and use your spending power correctly? Well, let's stand together. Let's read the Word, and then we'll pray. That was a long introduction. I promise I won't be as long with the rest of the message. I hope I won't be as long with the rest of the message. 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 17. Teach those who are rich in this world not to be proud and not to trust in their money, which is so unreliable. Now, hard stop. You're all rich in this world compared to... To the rest of the world. Matter of fact, if you're interested, I can give you a website to go to where you can plug in what you earn, and it will absolutely stun you what the rest of the world lives upon compared to what Americans live upon, Europeans live upon. We are so blessed. Can you say amen to that? But the Bible tells us those of us were wealthy compared to the rest of the world, we're not to be proud and not to trust in our money. Why? Because money is un reliable. A few years ago, a loaf of bread was 19 cent. A gallon of gas was 21 cent. You could buy a home back then for $14,000, a three-bedroom, two-bath home back then, at least where I lived at. So you're beginning to get the picture. Money is unreliable, especially if the government or businesses debase the economy intentionally. We, Becky and I have been in countries where that's happened overnight. Instead, their trust should be in God. Read that with me. Their trust should be in God. Read this next part with me. Who richly gives us all we need for our enjoyment. God wants you to enjoy your Sunday lunch. God wants you to enjoy your home or your apartment. God wants you to enjoy your, your clothes. God wants you to enjoy your vacation. I talked with a man this morning who's going to read the Daniel plan while he's on vacation. But he told me, he says, Pastor, I'm not starting the Daniel plan until after my vacation. But I'm going to read it while I'm on vacation. In other words, he got, and I said, go for it. I wouldn't do it either. He wants you to enjoy. But tell them use their money to do good. Let's read that last sentence together. Tell them, use their money to do good. Your spending can do good. Your investing can do good. Your saving can do good. Your earning can do good. God will help you with this process. Father, in the next few minutes, I'm just asking you to bless our congregation. Bless us as families. Bless us as a church so that we might have margin to be a blessing to our community and to the rest of the world. 
I pray richly bless us, Lord, so that we can not only enjoy what we have been blessed with, but we can enjoy giving cheerfully to you, for it's in Jesus' name I pray. And everyone said, amen, amen. God bless you. You may be seated. When you take this passage to heart, then what it does is it leads me more to focus on creating margin in my life so that I can be generous rather than consuming everything that God has blessed me with. Consumerism will eat away at the very heart and soul of your life. The desire to always have more, the desire to always possess the next and the greatest thing, that will eat away at our hearts. But when we create margin in our life, where we can be generous and give, God not only pours back into our lives, where we, our margin for living grows larger, but our margin for giving grows larger as well. And you say, how can you believe that? As one financial planner said to me, I see it working for your family, but how does that work? And Becky and I looked at her and shared with her the power of tithing and the power of missions giving, the power of generosity. She said to us, she says, it shouldn't work, but I can see from your plan it does work. I can see in your lives it works. She says, as a matter of fact, when I come into your home, it's like somebody has given me a value. I feel that peaceful when I come in here. Well, I don't want you to feel like you've had drugs, but I do want you to be blessed. I want you to experience peace. Can you say amen to that? You see, the principles work because they're God's principles. And the first principle is to remember this. Remember God owns it all, so trust him. That's what he's saying. God owns it all. Trust him. When I was a kid, I knew what my dad owned, and I knew what my dad wanted, how he wanted to bless us. But I trusted my dad always. I trusted my mom always. In Psalms 24 and verse 1, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all the people belong to him. By the way, you might not like that, but it doesn't change the fact that every continent, every ocean, every fish, every bird, every animal, and you belong to God. We belong to the Lord. And one day, each of us will give an accounting to God. One of the most beautiful prayers in the Bible, prayers of worship, is what I'd like to read to you next, and it's in the app if you want to look at it later, but I would encourage you as couples to pray this together. I would encourage you to get your children around you if you have children and pray this with them. Matter of fact, if you'll go ahead and put this up, 1 Chronicles 29, verse 11, why don't you read this with me? Let's, let's read it worshipfully to the Lord. Yours, O Lord is the greatness, the power, the glory, the victory, and the majesty. Everything in the heaven and on earth is yours. O Lord, and this is your kingdom. You are a kingdom. Don't ever forget that. You're a kingdom of priests now to the Lord. We adore you. Let's keep reading. We adore you as the one who is over all things. Wealth and honor come from you alone. For you rule over everything, power and might are in your hand, and at your discretion people are made great and given strength. Oh God, we thank you and praise your glorious name. Somebody say amen. You see, David was saying, I'm not trusting in power. I'm not trusting in chariots. I'm not going to debase my currency. I'm going to trust God because it all belongs to him. And once even David would say, 
He said, I will not give the Lord that which costs me nothing. I want to sacrificially learn to give. Job in chapter 31 and verse 28, listen to these words. If I have put my trust in money, it would mean that I denied the God of heaven. You master the money, money doesn't master you. You manage the money, money doesn't manage you. And you manage money for the glory of God. The second principle is then, and Jesus taught us this as well, invest for eternity because when you invest for eternity, you're revealing the love of God. Let me tell you about another story. This young man grew up in a broken home. He grew up with a father that was very irresponsible, very unfaithful to his marriage. They never knew if the power was going to be on or off. There was just all kinds of conflict in their home. He should have been one of those kids that was destined for, for a detention or destined for all kinds of trouble because of where they grew up at. But instead, he came to know Jesus. I remember when he came to know Jesus. He committed his life to the Lord. And because of the way he grew up, and not out of bitterness, but he didn't want to be like his father. He wanted to be a, a loving husband. He wanted to be a loving father. He wanted to be a passionate, and he is a passionate follower of Christ. And so the more he grew and the more he matured in his faith, I remember he and I sitting down and talking. He wanted to study how to make money, how to manage money. And so he got an economics degree and then went on and got a graduate degree in economics. And he spent his life making money for people, but his principles are he will not invest in alcohol. He will not invest in any stock that has anything to do with pornography. He will not invest in any stock that has anything to do with gambling or casinos. He wants to make money for people in a way that pleases God. Because he says, if I invest and help people do things that rob from them rather than bless them, he said, I'm not revealing the love of Jesus Christ that he has given to me. And when we learn to invest wisely, what we're doing is we're revealing the love of God to those that are blessed by how They may never know our names. They may never meet us. But they're learning how to be blessed by us. I'm going to just use a brief illustration. One place where Becky and I have invested in over the years, for many years now, there was a particular challenge that the investment firm fa faced, and it looked like we were going to take a major loss. But because the people that they had invested in were followers of Jesus, they made this commitment, we will not go bankrupt. We will pay what we owe. And because of that, there was a handsome profit made by everyone invested into this firm. Here's what I'm saying. Friends, look at me. Those of you listening online, listen to me this morning. When you trust God, you will do things that are different than the rest of the world because the bottom line for you is not the bottom line on a P&L sheet or a balance sheet. The bottom line for you is are you loving God and are you loving your neighbor? And by doing so, you're loving God. Can we say amen to that? And he will always supernaturally work in your life. Let's look at this verse again, because I really want this to sink in deep to us. 1 Timothy chapter 6. Their trust should be in God, who richly gives us all we need. Can I, 
Can I just ask, does everybody have all you need this morning? Do you have food? Do you have shelter? Do you have clothing? If you don't, I want to know, and I want you to let me know. Do you have food? Do you have shelter? Do you have clothing? Do you have all that you need? Tell them then to use their money. In other words, whatever margin you have, tell them to use their money to good. Look at me. You can't invest, though, if you don't build margin. And you won't build margin unless you learn how to be generous. Because as long as consumerism eats away at you, your margins are eaten up. But as you learn to give, God supernaturally opens the windows of heaven upon you. God pours out a blessing upon you that cannot be contained. I've never told you this, and it's a little embarrassing. I ran so many high fevers for the first number of years of my life, all the way till almost I was 13. My teeth came in without enamel. I, you can, teeth looked like it had strings, choke mark around them. They told my parents and told me, you will have dentures by the time you're 16 years old because my teeth weren't going to last. My parents prayed. We prayed. I still have my teeth today. Now, I have a lot of crowns in my mouth, but I still have my teeth today. Now, here's the point. You may go, well, that's humorous. That's, I'm not telling you that to be funny. I'm telling you, when I studied teeth, I went and studied teeth. Teeth are elemental to good health. Teeth are key to good health. God opened the windows of heaven upon me, and even what dentistry couldn't do, God did in my life. Everything about my life testifies to the miracle. According to the doctors, I shouldn't even be able to stand here, to walk, to jump, because there aren't the nerves to do it with. But God is a good God. Can somebody say amen to that? So therefore, you don't want to eat up all your margins. You want to do something so you can pour back into other people's lives. For us, that's been supporting ministries with health care. That's been supporting ministries that go and, and love and serve other people. Why? Because God says, use your money, Dennis. Use your money, Bill. Use your money, Dick. Use it to do good. Be rich in good works. I may not be rich as the world looks at rich, but I want to be rich before God and good works, and it doesn't matter where you're at on the scale of income. You can be rich in good works if you create margin in your life and you honor God with what you're doing. Somebody say amen this morning. And that's what and how you and I want to live. Number three, cultivate ever-increasing generosity because when you do, you bring God's peace. What is peace? It's shalom. It's the, it's the wholeness that God brings into life. Now, let me see if I can illustrate it this way. Suppose a man and a woman are married. Suppose they really don't do anything together. They exist in the same home. They don't really communicate. They really don't even like each other very much, but they're married. They're living in the same house together. There is an absence of conflict because they don't argue. They're spiritually divorced, but they're legally married. They may not be unfaithful to one another, but they're spiritually divorced, but they're legally married. There is no peace, shalom. We think peace is the absence of conflict. The absence of conflict is not peace. 
But where God's shalom comes, there's healing, there's wholeness, there's prosperity, there's godly relationships, there's love, there's joy, there is genuine peace. Can somebody say amen to that? And when we are cultivating ever-increasing generosity, then the peace of God that passes understanding becomes ours. Now look at 2 Corinthians 9.10. For God is the one who provides seed for the farmer and then bread to eat. God is the one who provides the seed faith that I need. God is the one that provides the income that I need. He gave me the knowledge. He gave me the skills. He gives you the knowledge. He gives you the skills. So therefore, there are three levels of giving I want to learn. I want you to learn. Number one, that's systematic giving. These are not in your outline, but they are on the app if you want to. But if you want to write them down, you might want to put this down. Systematic giving is where I just learned to start giving. I learned to give systematically. I learned to maybe give $20 a week. If, if that's, but I'm not tithing yet. I, and, and that's not obedience. You see, within a couple of months, within two or three months after you become a Christian, you should start tithing. Somebody asked me this week, says, should I tithe on the net or should I tithe on the gross? I said, well, what do you want to be blessed on? What do you want God to bless in your life? That's how you answer that question. So the second level is proportionate giving. That's tithing. And then the third level is where you're growing in generosity. You're giving beyond your tithes. You're supporting missions. You're helping others. And then finally this morning, you honor God with your whole life. It's what Jesus did. It's the way of Jesus. It's where you say, Lord, everything I've got, my breath, my time. Becky and I were talking earlier, or last week we were talking, and she said, you know, she said, it really does come down to those four things that you talk about in the pulpit all the time. She says, it's how we use our time, how we use our talent, how we use our treasure, and if we share our testimony. She says, that's how we honor God with our whole life. This is what Jesus says about, excuse me, Paul said about this in 1 Timothy 6, 19. By doing this, you will be storing up your treasure as a good foundation for the future so they may experience true life. Now, look at this. You're storing up treasure as a good foundation. Remember what James said in chapter 5, leaders and governments and businesses when they debase the economy. Remember what Jesus said, and then Paul says it in 1 Timothy. He says, where you lay up treasure, and your treasure is never debased. Gold and silver, moth, nothing ever corrodes it. Some of us will have the experience. I've had the experience. You will have the experience. You will invest in something, and it's going to go down. And it doesn't come back up. You can't let that stop you from investing. You have to just gather yourself together and you don't, you want to do what Ecclesiastes says. You don't want to put, you want to diversify. You, you want to put it in seven or eight different buckets and diversify. You want to learn to, you know, have an investment here, an investment there in case, you know, one goes up, one comes down. But you also want to know that no matter what happens to your treasure on this earth, if you are giving and living generous and you're spending in a way, maybe that coffee costs a little bit more. Maybe it costs a dollar or two more to buy a fair trade bag of coffee. Maybe it costs a dollar or two more to buy an ethically sourced tea. 
Maybe it costs a little bit more to buy clothes where people are paid a living wage rather than living in a sweatshop making something cheap that you and I can buy. Maybe you pay a little bit more, but you look beyond what you're paying because the power of your spending is touching and blessing other people's lives. Recently, there was an article in the New York Times that said this. Because ethics has begun to touch spending, many companies are claiming to, to purchase and source ethically or fair trade organically, and investigations are showing they're not. Do you know what we call that in the church? Hypocrisy. Let's not you and I be like the two men that I cut out of my life. One, both of them said they loved Jesus. One, you could never please. He was judgmental. He died with a lot of money, but with children that didn't serve God. Let's not be like the other man. He was harsh. He was tyrannical. His children, except for one, didn't serve God. Let's set it as our goal to be like that passionate follower of Christ named Earl. That when he died, everybody rejoiced that knew him and told story after story of how he had been blessed. I couldn't share that in the first service. In the first service this morning, what I'm going to share with you now. This morning, there was a lady who gave her heart to Jesus Christ in the first service. We had nine people give their hearts to Jesus in the first service. Can we give the Lord a hand of praise for that? Nine people. Powerful service. This morning, there was a lady who gave her heart to Christ here at the church. And she stopped and she says, may I tell you, she's probably in her 20s, very attractive young woman. She works at one of the local restaurants a couple from our church came in, had dinner there, and felt prompted to give her a little Bible, a little leather Bible, and they slipped some cash in there. They had no idea, and they invited her to come to Woodland. She loves the church. She loves God. She was reached, though, because somebody had created margin in their life and was willing to be generous with someone they didn't know and tell them their story and invite them to church and a difference has been made for eternity. Let me give you the growth work and then we'll go home. Good planning, hard work lead to prosperity, but hasty shortcuts lead to poverty. I've tried to give you wisdom. I'm not an economist, but I've tried to give you wisdom on economy, spending, when you hear news of how to judge it and then how to prepare. This week, this sentence just kind of flowed out of my pen. Godly work, when I work to honor God and to love people, in a just society where people are treated right, will profit, create wealth, and economic development. In other words, we're helping build an economy that employs people. But it respects private property as a part of God's blessings on all humanity. You say, Pastor, that is so smart. Thank you. I thought so too. But you know where I learned that from? I learned that from the founding fathers of our nation and the sermons of the Puritan pastors who came to this country 
and preached about a new society and a new nation they wanted to establish. It wasn't perfect, but it was one that wanted to be based in the teachings of Christ and build a nation that would be like a city set on a hillside. We've strayed far from that in America. But I believe revival is coming. I know revival is coming. I know that Jesus is coming, and I want you to be ready. Christ is coming again. And the work that you and I do, we want to offer it to the Lord and lay it at His feet as something that we are grateful for what He's done in our life. So in order to do that and to live like this, I need the grace of God. I need not be afraid, according to Jesus. He says, don't be afraid, little flock, for it gives your Father great happiness to give you the kingdom. God wants to bless you. But I also need discernment because there are many things that catch my eye. I many, many times go, oh, I want that. I need that. And then I have to use discernment. Do I really need that? I mean, there are times I need discernment. Is this a good buy or is that a good buy? I, I use shoes as an example. I am not going to wear shoes that hurt my feet. But I'm also not going to wear cheap shoes because they only last about a year. So I buy good shoes because they'll last me about 10 years. So I'll pay more on the beginning, but I pay less over the years because I take care of my shoes. The Bible says everything's permissible for me, but not everything is helpful. Everything is permissible for me, but I will not allow anything to control me. I will not allow consumerism to control me. I will not allow the ways of the world to control me, greed to control me. I won't even allow the good things in life to control me. I want to be led by the Holy Spirit, don't you? For the way of the Spirit is the way of life. Those that are led by the Spirit will live, and those that follow the way of, of self, the Bible says, will perish. James Boyce, who pastored First Presbyterian in Philadelphia, said this, the guiding, talking about the scripture I just read you, the guiding principle is whether you as a Christian are using things or whether they are using you. I'm not saying this, Devin, just because you were here this morning, but when my boys were little, we decided we wanted to buy toys that would stimulate them. So we bought them trains and things, but then we found, when I was working in Europe, we found Legos. We found Legos. My boys loved Legos. And the creativity of Legos. One time Becky said to me, she says, don't you think the boys have enough Legos? I said, I, probably, but you know, I can get them when I'm in Europe and then I'll just keep bringing them home to them. And, and so I was riding, flying home, and you know how the airlines always put a magazine there in the pocket for you? And I read a story of a common trait of successful executives were they played with Legos. Now, for those of you who don't know this, Devin works for Lego. They played with Legos. So I did what any God-fearing Christian would do. I ripped that article out of the magazine and slipped it in my briefcase and bought it home. And, and I showed it to Becky. And I would pat them on the head and I'd say, you are going to be my little millionaires. You want to use discernment, not just anything, but use murder. And then finally, 
I need to invest smarter. And when I say invest, I'm talking about my time, my talent, my treasure, my money, but my testimony. Examine your expenses. Examine your budget. Benjamin Franklin said this, beware of little expenses. A small leak will sink a great ship. First time I flew into Schiphol Airport in, in Amsterdam, Dutchman that was sitting next to me says, you know, we claimed this from the sea. I said, you're kidding. He goes, nope. He says, this was all underwater. And we pumped the water out. We rechanneled it. We built the land up. And that's how we have this beautiful airport. And of course, if you've ever been to the Netherlands, you've seen the canals and the row houses. It's just a beautiful city. I've often thought about that statement, we reclaim this from the sea. In the Bible, the sea is judgment. But a little boy, according to legend, when they were building those famous dikes, he put his finger in the hole to keep the dike from eroding and collapsing and flooding the city. That little story is told, whether it's true or not, it's still told. The Dutch are famously economical. Use good sense. If you can save money on your insurance, save money on your insurance. If you can lower your cable bill, lower your cable bill. But the reason I've told you these stories this morning is because this is kind of a prophetic message to listen to. Matter of fact, this is what the Bible calls prophetic preaching. Prophecy is not always foretelling. It's foretelling. It's getting in her face a little bit. But I did want to just put it out there because the Bible says Jesus did not say anything to them without using a parable. A parable is a story. So Jesus told a story about a nobleman called to a distant empire to be crowned king and then returned before he left. And he called together 10 of his servants and he divided among them 10 pounds of silver. And he said, read it with me, invest this for me while I'm gone. Read it again. Invest this for me while I'm gone. If you're not familiar with the Bible, one servant only got one talent. Another servant got a few talents more, and another servant got a few talents more. We all want to be the one who got the most. We all want to be the one who was trusted with the most. I think most people miss the meaning of this parable. The one who got the least had a poverty and a scarcity mentality. And that's why God only gave him one, or why the master only gave him one. But if he had been like my friend who came from a broken home, never enough food on the table, ate at my table a lot, never had enough clothes, never knew if the lights were going to be on, if anybody should have had a scarcity mentality, it should have been him. But when he gave his heart to Jesus, 
and he discovered his gift. Remember, everybody needs a presentation of the gospel at his or her level of understanding. Everybody needs a biblical moral compass to guide them throughout life. Everybody has a gift that God has given them with which to share and advance the mission of the church. And everybody has a purpose in sharing the good news of Jesus Christ with others. He bought into all four of those. And he believed God could do much with his little. They went through a period of time. We believed in them. And he tells me this. Becky and I put food on the table so they could finish their education. But what he developed was a mentality that all things are possible with God. He's made a lot of people wealthy. He and his family serve in missions. He and his family have created margin. And you would never know how affluent they are by their lifestyle. Because the thing that concerns him more than anything is that one day he's going to stand before the Lord. And he says, did I do good with my money? Or did I spend it all on myself? He had one talent, and he turned that one talent a hundred times over for the glory of God. Will you ask yourself this morning, what can I do with my talent? What can I do with my talents? What can I do with my education? What can I do with my marriage? What can I do with my future? What can I do with my retirement? What can I do with where I'm at in life right now? There may not be much margin, but what can I do to do well? Where can I start? And do it prayerfully. And pray the prayer from First Chronicles that I pray for you this morning. Yours is the power. Yours is the glory. And what we have, you gave to us, O Lord. Don't compare yourself to anybody else. Just be who God called you to be. Can somebody say amen to that? So if you would, stand with me this morning, and let me pray for you. Lord, I thank you so much for your word that makes us wise. I thank you so much, Lord, that you loved us and you spent it all on us, Lord. I still can't fathom that. You spent it all. You gave your son. You gave Jesus. Silver and gold couldn't do that. No amount of money, no amount of power could save except that you emptied it all at Calvary. And when I ate that bread and drank that cup this morning, I was overwhelmed. So right now, in light of such an amazing gift to me and to this congregation in Christ, God, show me what I can do with my talent. 
And Lord, if there's anyone that's listening online or here today that hasn't given their life to you or maybe has become lukewarm in their commitment and to you, I pray, speak to their heart right now. And if that's you, would you just pray this? You can pray it quietly. But pray this prayer with me right now. Say, dear God, thank you for loving me so much. You spent it all on me. You went for broke on me. You invested all of heaven for me that my sins might be washed away and that I could be born again. So Jesus, today I I give you my life. I give you my heart. I thank you for forgiving my sins. And now, Lord, teach me how to spend my life wisely how to spend my money wisely, how to spend my time wisely. And as much as I know how, I give my whole life to you. If you prayed that, he's going to fill you and flood you with his Holy Spirit. Now I'm going to pray over our offering as we get ready to worship the Lord in our giving So, Lord, as we give, I'm asking you to bless our gifts and our giving. I'm asking you that, Lord, you will open the windows of heaven and that we will find margin expanding in our lives. I pray, Jesus, that when we spend at the grocery store or we spend, Lord, at Target or wherever we shop at, that, God, we will spend wisely. And I pray you will rebuke the devourer for my finances. And I pray, Lord, we will vote wisely as citizens when it comes to budgets and taxes and finances. And if we're employers, Lord, I pray that we will pay our employees well and wisely. For it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen and amen. God bless you. You may be seated.